Good morning, everyone. This is the DOLW Podcast 3. We are a watcher group in the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. We formed because uh, we were exiled from our church in uh, Burton, Michigan, and um, for using our voice. And we have come to learn that there are many people that have um, had problems with using their voice in the church and um, are not treated um, the same as maybe the staff or um, the priest himself. So I want to just read this little thing here. We are unpolished voices, one to be heard with the same ears a priest uses to listen to his bishop, his staff, and his friends. With bruised lips, we have a need to speak and to be heard with ears that listen with the compassion of Jesus, the humility Jesus exemplified, the true shepherd who leaves the flock to bring back the lamb that is lost and subject to being eaten by a lion or left alone to die of loneliness, of starvation. St. Paul, um, when he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, one of his letters, uh, one verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all you do be done in love. Okay, so today is the feast of St. John of the Cross. And he is um, he's a Carmelite saint. He's a doctor of the church. And I just have a little short thing I want to read to you about him. Uh, he was born in poverty. He cared for the poor. Carmelite, he was a Carmelite lay brother in 1563 at age 21 though he lived more strictly than the rule required. He lived in, excuse me, I'm digressing here. He lived in strict poverty um, uh, to, to draw closer to God, very much in self, self-denial and worldly. He was um, truly a lover of God and you know, really um, practiced uh, physical self-denial in order to draw closer to God. Okay, he was ordained a Carmelite priest in 1567 at age 25, and he was persuaded by St. Teresa of Avila to begin the discalced or barefoot reform within the Carmelite order. Just a quick thing here, the Carmelite order was, um, was not doing well at that time, and um, uh, it needed to be reformed. His reforms did not set well with the sum of his brothers, and he was ordered to return to Medina del Campo and he refused, and was imprisoned at Toledo, Spain, escaping after nine months, vicar general of Andalusia, Spain. His reforms revitalized the order. He was a great contemplative and spiritual writer, proclaimed a doctor of the church by Pope Pius XI on August 24, 1926. One of, the, one of his quotes is, at the end of your life, you will be judged by your love. St. John of the Cross. You know, it's so important, everyone, to, to do anything and everything you do is to draw closer to God and for the love of God, do what you do. And if, if you don't do it in love, then it, it's not worth anything. That's pretty much the way, way Jesus was. You have to do everything in love with compassion. And that's not the kind of love we see today, the fuzzy, fuzzy, um, you know, to, to have peace at all costs, you know, even at the cost of truth. Um, we have to have truth, and we can be truthful in good conscience when we're doing the will of God. And if your conscience is good, 
you have a peace. Yeah, you can go to sleep at night because you know you've done the right thing. So um, I just want to real quick here, um, just in that little quip I read to you about St. John of the Cross, he was, first of all, he was ordered to, um, to return to um, his order, and he refused. And then they imprisoned him. His own brothers imprisoned him. He was beaten. It was, it was awful. His own brothers did this to him, uh, his own brother Carmelites. You know, they didn't want change. They didn't want to be reformed. Um, they were being very worldly. So, uh, and then, so he was ordered, he refused, and then he escaped. He did all, the, all of these things for the love of God, knowing that, and the love of his order, and actually the love of his brothers, too. And that's where love can get kind of confusing, like, um, you know, if I do this, you know, I'm going to hurt my brother, I'm going to do, you know, this is going to happen, or whatever. Um, you know, you do have to consider all those things um, when you're praying. But if God is asking you to do something, um, it may not be something you want to do or it's something you think you can do. But if he is asking you, um, that peace that comes with doing his will will be all about you, you know. And, and in your prayer, you will feel that peace because you know you're doing the right thing. So with that... Uh, I just, I think those things, the ordered, he was ordered, he was refused and imprisoned, and he escaped after nine months. So, you know, in the light of what's going on and how, you know, um, as being exiles, you know, uh, we are isolated, we are treated poorly and kicked out of our church. Um, and, you know, and I see this in other things. You'll, you will see it as we read further into Randy Engels today on what can happen if you're just silent, don't speak, and you just get further and further away from the truth, and you begin not to know, which we can see in our world today. I don't think half the people out there know what we're getting into with uh, so many of these um, things that are just so far away from the Ten Commandments that our Lord gave us. Okay, so on page 963, we're going to begin. Uh, I'm lifting all of this up today in honor and, and in prayerful uh, witness to St. John of the Cross and all the saints that have gone before us who have lost their lives because of um, fighting for God. And, or, or their life simply wasn't easy. It was made very painful. It, and we can, only, we can look at Jesus who didn't run away from the cross. You know, um, I've been told by my spiritual director that, you know, you have joy, and when you're joyful, you just love it, and you just want to keep reaching for it, keep reaching for it. And, um, and God is the one who gives you that joy. And when you have suffering, it's like, you know, it's like, why me, God? Why do I have to suffer? And, you know, don't put so much on your joy, um, so much importance on your joy, and don't put so much um, importance on your suffering. You know, kind of um, see that God is in both of those things. And he is with you in the joy, and he is with you in the suffering. And give it all to him. All right. Page 9. Oh, I can't see that. 983. The formation of a gay task force. This is Randy Ingalls, The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality, and the Roman Catholic Church. We have been reading for vol from Volume 4, if you're just tuning in. This is the Homosexual Network in the Hierarchy. American Hierarchy and Religious Orders by Randy Engel. 
All right, we're at the bottom of page 983. The formation of a gay task force. In February 1972, the newly created 15-member Salvatorian Commission for Justice and Peace met for the first time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to lay out the society's new agenda for social justice and human rights. I also want to tell you that this, the, the chapter um, I'm right now reading from is, is the homosexuality that, homosexuality that is in the religious orders. Agenda and to, all right, so let me just finish that sentence there. Sorry, guys. In February 1972, the newly created 15-member Salvatorian Commission for Justice and Peace met for the first time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to lay out the society's new agenda for social justice and human rights agenda and to establish individual task forces to implement the Commission's overall objectives and initiatives. The most controversial of these task forces was the Gay Ministry Task Force. According to historian Avella, the inspiration for this particular task force was an African-American Salvatorian brother from Philadelphia named Grant Michael Fitzgerald. Brother Fitzgerald's credentials as a gay rights activist and self-professed homosexual religious were well known in and out of Salvatorian circles. I'm going to digress here and say, you know, this is what we're advocating for. If there are networks, there are networks in the American church, in the American hierarchy um, for homosexuals. We too want to be have a voice in that. We want to have a say in that. We want to debate um, how this all can be. Uh, we want an, uh, uh, that voice, our voice, to be heard. Fitzgerald was present at the organizing meeting of the Peace and Justice Commission and urged the membership to include the full range of gay rights in its campaign for human rights. The Commission's Human Rights Task Force later renamed the Gay Ministry Task Force, was created in September 1972. In the meantime, Fitzgerald also worked with Father Raymond Ronald Wagner, SDS, the Director of Renewal for the Provincialate, to develop a series of resolutions upholding gay rights for presentation to the membership of the National Federation of Priests, Councils, NFPC meeting in Denver in March 1972. Fitzgerald was also active in the Gay People's Union in Milwaukee in an effort to help those who were who are homosexual to become accepting of and comfortable with integrated in their homosexuality. As at its September 19 at its September 19 through 30 1972 meeting, the Salvatorian Gay Ministry Task Force set its goals for the coming year. To develop a program of ministry to the Salvatorian community in the area of human sexuality. Specifically, the task force will attempt to educate Salvatorians and others so that fears and ignorance will not inhibit them from upholding the dignity of all persons, whatever their sexual orientation. Just want to stop here real quick and, and digress. Um, just just to, to remind you that we are not um, haters of homosexuals. 
That is not why we're here. Why we are here is that homosexuality, the pedestrian going on in the church and in the seminaries, and the silencing of voices um, begs our attention. And do we say, um, we, you know, we want to advocate to use our voice to debate this whole thing um, about homosexuals in the seminaries and why it is so difficult and um, what is going on there. So we want to be able to have a voice, to have a say in that. The task force also enumerated an 11-point program that included human sexuality workshops for the Salvatorians, as well as the distribution of a bibliography on homosexuality and the integration and networking of the Gay Ministry Task Force with other Salvatorian peace and justice ministries. At the 15th Provincial Chapter held in the Siena Center in Racine, Wisconsin in February 1973, the membership sanctioned Father Raymond's Peace and Justice, the itinerary including the resolution that the American province of Salvatorians affirms and pledges support to its members engaged in efforts to establish a viable ministry to the homosexual community, as those efforts are outlined in the 11-point proposal of the Salvatorian Justice and Peace Commission's Task Force for Gay Ministry. With the passage of this resolution, the North American province of the Society of the Divine Savior became part of the homosexual collective within the Catholic Church with the election in June 1973 and subsequent re-election in 1976 and 1979 of Father Myron Wagner as provincial superior. The moral route of the society in the United States was complete. Father Wagner, a devotee of Abraham Maslow and his theories of self-actualization, did for the Salvatorians what Carl Rogers had done for the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart in California. News of the passage of the Gay Ministry Resolution was picked up by Crux of the News in its April newsletter, and the Gay Ministry Task Force started to attract international attention. In response, the task force formulated a general mailing that announced the good news of gay liberation. Two educational modules were later developed, one on homophobia and one entitled A Christian, Gospel and Ministerial Rationale for a Ministry to Homosexual Persons. Avella reports by the end of 1973, the task force had a mailing list of 150 names, 500 in donations, and a mandate from the NFPC to continue to work. In March 1974, the Salvatorian Gay Ministry Task Force produced a 40-page booklet, Ministry, USA, a model for ministry at the homosexual community with two appendices, a short gay bibliography on homosexuality and a list of gay organizations around the United States. The publication was given wide distribution by the National Center for Gay Ministry in Milwaukee. The cover letter that accompanied the publication stated that the insights of the task force publication were not to be considered definitive and that the proposed model for homosexual ministry was based primarily on experimental wisdom of members of the task force and have not been fully developed. 
When Wagner presented the overtly pro-homosexual publication for approval by the representatives of the NFPC meeting in San Francisco in March 1974, it was rejected by the House of Delegates. Avella said that after the meeting, the impression went out that the Society of the Divine Savior was now open to active homosexuals. He also noted that there was a number of unpleasant episodes in the Washington, D.C. area when active homosexual men began to apply for admission to the order after the national publicity received by the Salvatorian Gay Ministry Task Force. In 1978, in a report to the Provincial Synod, Father Glenn Patrick Willis, director of formation, complained that pressure from their own gay ministry task force had led to the acceptance of unqualified and risky candidates for membership in the Salvatorians simply because they were homosexuals. He, ex he expressed a need for a more authoritative and formalized position on the matter. By now, discontent with the pro-homosexual bias of the gay ministry task force had polarized the entire Salvatorian community in the United States, but Father Wagner was unimpressed. Avella said that Wagner went, to, went on to dismiss critics of the ministry as being uncomfortable with a truly prophetic stance, being unaware of the changing nature of sexual ethics, and even being out and out homophobes. Wagner said the task force position did not contradict church moral teachings, but was simply an affirmation of gay civil rights. Under Wagner's watch, Father Raphael Berenger, a Salvatorian pastor at St. Pius X Church in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, permitted dignity to use his parish until Archbishop Weakland clamped down on the pro-homosexual organization many years later. <clears throat> According to Avella, despite Father Wagner's attempt to defend the existence and rationale for the Peace and Justice Commission of Gay Ministry Task Force, by 1975, it has lost its effectiveness as a change agent within the American province. It was disbanded under the new administration of provincial director, Father Justin Pierce, in 1979. Unfortunately, this was not the end of the story, for while the Gay Ministry Task Force was formally dissolved by Father Pierce, it did not disappear entirely. It simply went underground to be resurrected as part of a new organization, New Ways Ministry, created by Salvatorian Robert Nugent and school sister of Notre Dame Janine Gramick. In Chapter 17 on New Ways Ministry, we will see how all the elements of the homosexual network in AM Church that have been discussed in this section come together to move the homosexual agenda in the church ever forward. By any measure, it makes for a very chilling tale of deceit and subversion. So we're going to stop here because we are going to begin Chapter 17 on our next episode. Um, for any of you who are interested um, and have missed other um, podcasts, please go back and listen to them because you um, you will just be shocked and um, appalled by what you see here and why we don't know of this report by Randy Ingalls, why it is not 
in the seminaries, why it is not in our church parishes, why it's never talked about. Um, so many people, I think, could benefit from this. Um, you know, especially the healing families, you know, families that have left their church because of all this pain. Um, this could really be uh, like a door opening up for people to realize, you know, that uh, the church really does want to do something and, and wants to get downright and into the dirt and fight this and, and, and stop this terrible scandals that have gone on and are well-rooted into um, the Catholic Church. So um, in the end, you know, our church will, our Holy Mother Church will um, not be defeated. This will change. And But for the lay, lay, lay people, I call you, I say, you know, please, if you've left the church, come back to the church. We advocate for that. We advocate for anybody that's left. Come back to the church. Start re receiving those sacraments. Start communing with Jesus again. And um, if you don't trust your priest, that's fine. Trust Jesus. Receive the, the Holy Communion, the, you know, Jesus in the Eucharist, in his um, divine image, and, you know, and sharing bread and wine with him, and communing with Jesus, and going to confession, and uh, just receiving those sacraments, you know, you, your heart will be changed, and, um, and maybe, too, you will begin to use your voice. But if nothing else, please come back to the church, and please receive the sacraments. Um, with that, I'm going to say a prayer here. This all to, I want, I don't know if I've already said it, but I probably did, is that um, dedicating this, this podcast, podcast number 56, to our dear St. John of the Cross. And here is a prayer for the return of non-practicing Catholics. O oh, Good Shepherd, you never cease to seek out the lost, to call home the stray, to comfort the frightened, and to bind up the wounded. I ask you to bring all our fallen away brothers and sisters back to the practice of the faith and to remove all obstacles that prevent them from receiving your abundant mercy, which flows sacramentally through the heart of your holy church. Through the intercession of Mary, the mother of God, their guardian angels, their patron saints, and ever prayerful Saint Monica, may, your pardon, may you pardon their sins and unshackle them from whatever hinders their freedom to come home. For you, O Good Shepherd, have loved us to the end and offered yourself to the Father for the salvation of all. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God bless you all. Till the next time.